This is Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager, Canada's national source for the latest agronomic research, crop production, and technology trends. You've tuned in to hear conversations about relevant research, best production practices, and everything in between. As an ESN granule, I keep things five-star. Serving up environmentally smart nitrogen when crops need it. Bellhop, this nitrogen needs to be delivered upstairs now. On it. Intense heat, heavy rain, my polymer coating keeps nitrogen safe and ready. Bellhop. At your service. It's demanding work, but seeing the yields makes it all worth it. ESN Environmentally Smart Nitrogen Fertilizer. Learn more at smartnitrogen.com. Hi, my name is Alex Bernard, editor for Top Crop Manager East, and I'm here speaking today with Chuck Barisich of Hagerty Agrobotics. Welcome, Chuck. Thanks for joining me. Thank you, Alex. Uh, pleasure to be here. Now, I know Hagerty Creek is one business, but Hagerty Creek Agrobotics has kind of become uh, an offshoot of that. When did that start, and what was the kind of intention of doing so? Sometimes it's hard to separate the two a little bit. Obviously, like my brother and I are farmers in the area, and we started Haggerty Creek, like the agronomy business, back in 2001. And almost immediately after starting the business, like by 2004, we were involved with precision agriculture. And a lot of it related to, you know, having our customers, you know, measure what they're putting down, you know, document what they're doing. And and the the, the goal is to try to improve things, you know, to, to make it go better and improve yields and, and whatever. So, you know, that business, you know, progressed through Haggerty Creek. And then, you know, when you think about precision agriculture, the best example that I have is, is our sprayer that we own has a field computer in it that records everything that's happening. It has a guidance system on it that drives the sprayer. That guidance system has a vision camera on it that actually can see the corn rows, the crop rows, and keep the tires from running over the rows automatically. The sprayer controls the rate automatically. When you pull back on the hydrostat at the end of the field, it turns around on the headlands all automatically. And when you're done the job, all of the stuff that you've applied, it bundles up the application map and uploads that to the cloud. So all of that happens now and really removing a driver from the cab is really the next logical step to precision agriculture. So we started looking at this in 2000, I I guess for quite a few years, I was looking at, you know, robotics and automation and what does it look like? You know, we have implemented little pieces of automation in our business, as I just mentioned with the sprayer, but also with our grain elevator and and with other functions that we do. And when I got our first robot in 2020, the price tag and the dollars that are involved, we thought it might be a bit of a distraction from our core business. And so that's why we started Haggerty Agrobotics so that we could kind of separate the automation piece from the agronomy side. We think it's going to be big enough, big, it's big enough to deserve its own entity. And and that's where that and that's where that came from. And so now two things are happening. The farmer is still very front and center, you know, so like like the agronomy customers, the the, the farmers, we're we're kind of taking our same model that worked with Haggerty Creek is that 
you know, the, the farmers really drive, what do I need? The robotics company tries to figure out, can we deliver a solution? Okay. Yeah. As you mentioned, ag tech has kind of become inseparable from modern farming. So. Right. Oh, oh for sure. So ag robotics is, of course, the next logical step, as you say. Since 2020, I know you you guys have a fair few robots available now. So could you tell me a little bit about the different ones you have? Yeah, so so we started with we started with the dot from Seedmaster back in 2020. And really that was the first robot that any company would allow us to have. And that was a good learning tool. We actually have two of the dot units. And what we use them for is we use them mostly for spreading lime and bulk products. So we still have those, still have that robot. We have two robots that we had commissioned. So we helped the engineering team build them. They are built in Oshawa. One of them is a small tracked robot called um, the Romeo HCT for tracks. And that robot is a is the basis of our soil testing platform. And so we are prototyping an autonomous soil testing system with this robot. So that robot essentially scans the field. Once it's done scanning the field, it probes the soil. And it, we're not quite there yet, but our, our dream outcome of this robot is that we can deploy the robot at nine o'clock in the morning. And by noon on a 50 acre field, for example, the farmer will have their soil map, actually their variable rate map by noon. So not only will it does it map the soil, but it actually does the testing right in the field without sending anything to a lab. That's kind of what we're working towards with that prototype. The other Romeo robot that we have, it has tires on it, and it's a little bit taller robot. What it's used for is a, is a prototyping trial robot. So we use it for pulling a prototype mower through a, through a field to mold cover crops, in 2023, we used it with a camera-based uh, weed detection system for processing vegetables. So that's what that robot is used for, is for, is for prototype and trials. And then we have seven, eight, nine, we have 10 robots from a company called uh, NIO out of France. And most of those robots are weeding robots. So um, seven of them are a, a small wheelbarrow-sized you know, single row cultivator. All of these, all the NIO robots are essentially electric tractors. They're just different sizes. And so the, the little Oz robots are designed to do one row at a time. They look after about two acres a day. The Oreo robot does um, four to six rows at a time. So it's designed for 10 to 12 acres a day. And then the TED robot is a vineyard robot. So it's designed for weed management and, and the management of vineyards. And so we're quite happy with the NIO products. They work pretty good. We have two robots from Denmark. They are called farm droids and they are solar powered robots. And those, what they do is they will seed a crop and it geolocates every seed. So it knows where every seed is planted in the field. And then when it's done seeding, it go, turns around and it has a weeding tool on it and it cultivates. So it's designed for 100% non-chemical management of a crop. So, you know, most, you know, vegetable crops of some kind is, is probably the biggest, the biggest use. And we have a, we also from Denmark have a robot called a Roboti. And the Roboti is a diesel powered 
tool carrier designed to run for 60 hours on a tank of fuel, you know, designed for, you know, running, you know, looking after like 50, 60 acres a day is kind of what it's, what it's designed for. Okay. So we have a little fleet. You have a little fleet indeed. Yeah. I mean, it must be exciting to kind of see what each of them does and, and see it happen in the field. Yeah. Like, like in 2021, we started doing the testing of the weeding robots. We didn't really know. Uh, we, we might not still know what we're doing, but back in 2021, we really didn't know what we were doing. And then in 2022, with the help of OMAFRA and our autonomous working group and some researchers and things, we started to set some priorities as to, you know, where do these robots actually fit? How do we fit them into the, you know, the Ontario uh, ecosystem? And then 2023, we made a conscious effort to deploy the majority of these robots commercially. You know, they were leased out or, or onto commercial farms for the most part. You know, some of them were still placed in trials, but a lot of them were, were placed commercially. And figuring out where they fit is one of the big challenges. Yeah, it's, it's, it's all very futuristic and fascinating right now, but yeah, making it fit in a real farm system, I can imagine, requires some negotiation or well and, and what it is 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 farmers are very smart people and uh, the way that people grow crops whether it's corn or tomatoes or onions or carrots or tobacco or any of these crops you know farmers are very good at what they do and and they have certain cultural practices because they work you know and so an engineer who builds a robot that doesn't fit let's say within a traditional system they might have the cadillac system right they might have the perfect machine but you know the, the farmer sits there and says well you know what i'm doing is working pretty good i don't want to upset that apple cart right so i you need to really show me an advantage to changing my system so just because you remove the driver doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to use your robot. What's happening in the operations is that there are some other kind of unforeseen challenges that are driving the adoption. And so some of this is, a lot of it relates to weed control. So the weed control options that we have are becoming more and more limited. So certain chemicals are being taken off the market. Certain chemicals are no longer effective. You know, we're seeing resistant weeds that are coming up that that are hard to deal with. And on top of that, labor is more costly and harder to get. You know, a, a farm operation can no longer, you know, maybe they never could, but you can't just assume that if you need a 50-person weeding crew to come in and do a rescue treatment that you're going to be able to find that crew you might not be able to and the value of the crop is so high that it is making this new technology more attractive and and so those are the there's some ancillary reasons that are coming the farmers are looking at what they're doing today and saying you know what i might have two or three more years of doing it this way but that is coming to an end and i need to find an alternate solution or in some cases, people are coming to me and saying, you know, I spent my career hoeing this field in 30 degree weather. My kids are saying they don't want to do it. 
because, you know, there, there's lots of other options. And so if we want to stay farming this way, we need to make this easier somehow for that next generation because they have other opportunities. It isn't that the kids are lazy. It's that there are other opportunities that they could go to that, that don't involve that. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting because I know one of the issues that the survey that was done out of Brock University on kind of the adoption of ag tech noted that sometimes it seems like companies are coming to growers or farmers with a solution that doesn't necessarily have a problem. And to hear that you are working with an ag tech company to develop a robot, Mm -hmm. robots, it's, it bodes well because not only do you understand the farming side of things, you also understand the technology or the robotic side of things. So to have that knowledge and to put that knowledge into the development of something that will, it seems like that is more likely to help growers than, like you say, the Cadillac that comes without that knowledge. Right. There are several things that have to happen, you know, and and so for an engineer who has an idea or for for a designer or, or an inventor, this kind of thing, sometimes those developers they don't understand the time crunch that the farmer is under or they don't understand the fact that if the machine doesn't work the farmer doesn't have tomorrow to make it work right it, it needs to work at that moment and when i when i do my work like the work that we're doing in partnership with the university of guelph up at the muck research station like those weeds up there like i mean they'll grow an inch a day and so if the weeding robot doesn't work on Monday, you might not have Tuesday or Wednesday to, to go in there and, and have it cultivate those weeds out. It'll be too late. And so sometimes there's a lack of understanding from the engineering side as to what kind of pressures are and what kind of reliability is required. And then the other thing, too, is that it's not always just a new idea that's required. You know, sometimes what the farmers are doing actually isn't wrong or the method that they're using isn't wrong. Maybe the way they're deploying that method could be improved or or there could be some tweaks. And we've done some interesting stuff. Some interesting stuff was done this year, like with the growth of onions and how they're planted and how they're treated. And the robotic technology might open up a a different method of planting the onions that um, will allow for less chemical and maintaining the yield. And that's, you know, that's really one of the sweet spots that we're trying to go over, which will encourage the adoption piece. One of the things that isn't going to work is to say to the farmer that you're going to just keep doing everything you're doing exactly how it is today, but we're going to take your staff away and eliminate all your employees. That, that's not going to work. That's, that's going to just fail immediately. <laughs> so the Haggerty Creek Agrobotics team does several demonstrations throughout the growing season, either I think at the farm or at farm shows in the area. What have you seen in terms of interest from attendees? I think one of the first things that the farmers who come to them look for is, you know, can they identify with the situation that's happening? You know, does it look like their own farm? And does that translate? When I first saw the dot robot in 2019, at the Woodstock Farm Show. I went out to see it in Saskatchewan in October, and I saw it you know, kind of in like a real world condition. 
and it was dirty and it was covered in fertilizer and it was cold and windy out and this robot was out spreading fertilizer and I, and that's when it kind of clicked in my head to say you know there's something to this i can see that working so when we do our demonstration sites what we try to do and this again this is with the help of our working group is we're trying to find willing farmers who are willing to have some skin in the game a, a little bit in this and to do these trials but we try to find some, you know, some of the good use cases, you know, whether it is a like an organic soybean crop or whether it was onions, like I mentioned, or sugar beets or something along those lines that is both a, a cooperative grower and a successful use case that can kind of show what this robot can do. And then what we do is we invite the growers to an event to come and see it both in real time in july when people can kind of see the robots running and moving and then we have built some presentations for the winter time for some knowledge transfer activities where we are measuring the yield the outcome the inputs the return on investment those kinds of things to kind of get at the you know the the logical and and analytic side of of this technology and it's one thing for it to look cool and work in the summertime, but does it actually make sense later on, you know, financially for the growers to do? So Haggerty, you know, Haggerty has done this work in, in conjunction with some with with a lot of support from Omafra in the past. You know, we're very pleased to announce that we got some funding to create some permanent innovation farm sites across Ontario for the next five years where we can actually do repetitions and and do this on a on a on a bigger scale than what we were able to do be, before and more crops and and these kinds of things. So we're very excited about that. That's excellent news. Mm-hmm. Do you know where those sites will be yet or is that kind of still in flux? So in general the Western Fair Association is helping to uh, coordinate all of this for us and then one of the sites is going to be the, uh, the research station up at Bradford with the University of Guelph. We will have a site at the Western Fair location in London. We're also going to have a site down in our neck of the woods. And the final site is in Niagara to deal with the uh, fruit crops and, and winery. That site's not officially officially located yet, but we have a pretty good idea. Awesome. Uh, I look forward to hearing uh, in the next few years how that goes. Yes, it's it's very exciting. But right. what are some of the common questions or comments that you'll hear from growers? Probably one of the most common questions that I have is, will it assist in my labor situation? Like, you know, is my life going to be easier? And my answer to that is maybe. Will it eliminate your labor requirements? No. But what it does do is it allows you to take the farmer and their key employees and it allows you to multiply yourself because you can take that knowledge of what you should be doing and you can program that into a robot and the robot will drive the speed that you tell it, cultivate the depth that you tell it, go in the direction that you tell it over and over and over and over again. So that's one of the advantages the robot has. Another question that I get asked is, is there a return? 
Like, am I going to make any money on this machine? And the answer to that is in some cases, yes, but sometimes you got to ask or figure out, you know, when you say a return on investment, what returns are you looking for? You know, if you're trying to compare strictly like dollars of labor to dollars of robot, maybe, maybe not. But if you start to say that, you know, my crop, if I can reduce a pass of herbicide, it's not the herbicide cost that's the issue. It's what damage is that herbicide doing to the crop? And in some in some of the specialty crops, a pass of herbicide actually injures the crop. And that injury to the crop introduces points of infection. So now that crop needs more fungicide. And so can the reduction of the herbicide not only reduce the, the herbicide cost, but also the fungicide cost, can reducing the infection improve the yield? And we're not quite ready to say that, yes, it can, but we're very, very close to say that, that, that those, those increases are somewhat significant. The other piece of return on investment is the value added. To, to go to a, to a farmer and say, you know, it's going to take the robot five days to cultivate that field. You could do that in three or four hours yourself on a tractor. The question that I have for the farmer is, is that the robot has nothing else to do. So it can take five days because it doesn't, it doesn't have to fix anything. It doesn't have to ship a crop out. It doesn't have to manage staff. And so if you can have those three or four or five hours back, what can you be doing instead that is adding more value than sitting in the tractor? And the example that's been given to me, and I, and I use this one quite a bit, is that in the, in the vineyard operation that I talked with, they tell me that one of their best operators in the vineyard spends a lot of their time cutting grass on a lawnmower. And the, the vineyard operator doesn't mind doing that, but you know, the employee doesn't mind doing that, but is that actually the, the most value that that employee can be getting? And that's where the return on investment is very tricky to manage because if that employee was instead monitoring the pruning operations, monitoring for diseases um, and those kinds of things, that can add a lot more value than sitting on a lawnmower. And that's where the return on investment is challenging. And if we take this back to our opening discussion, which was on precision agriculture, you know, the return on investment on an auto steer system in a tractor is very, very hard to measure because technically a person can drive straight. And I would argue that that return on investment is almost zero if you actually just try to measure dollars. But every tractor has one now. Mm -hmm. And people have accepted the fact that the ancillary benefits of being less tired, being more precise, and all these kinds of things add value in a way that you can't measure. And robotics is going to be very similar to that. Yeah, it's valuing the intangibles that go beyond mm -hmm. the strict dollar to dollar. That's correct. Okay. Those are the, those are the most two most common questions that I get asked. Okay. So if a field crop farmer is considering adding ag tech, we've spoken that pretty much precision agriculture is present in all operations these days. But right. mm -hmm. if they're looking to add additional or agrobotics to their operation, what would you recommend they look into or what questions should they ask themselves before pursuing it? One of the things that, that we do is that we try to not make the operation more complicated than it needs to be. 
you know, really understand the steps that are involved and don't give the robot challenges that it doesn't already have. We underestimate that the second that a human sits in the cab of the tractor, there is now a supercomputer sitting in that seat. And that supercomputer knows what direction to drive, how fast to drive, not to drive through the waterhole, to avoid the tree branch that's down, all these kinds of things. They just know these things. So when we are looking at bringing a robot into your field, eliminating some obstacles in the field, fixing the holes in the ground, fixing the tile blowouts, keeping the trees trimmed back, those kinds of things are very critical. But the other thing is to document the reason why you're doing certain tasks. So, you know, why are you planting in that direction? Why is your headland that size? Why are you planting at these depths? You know, start to get a, a real handle on your operation because then you can start to decide what piece of automation can replace that task. You know, and you might find that there are certain tasks like cultivating a field, like a, like with a, you know, a 50-foot cultivator and a big tractor. The ROI on a robot makes no sense in that operation because a person can do it so much faster and cheaper. But then on the flip side, you might find that a scouting task or a seeding task or these kinds of things are better suited to a piece of automation technology because you want that precision and you want the, the preciseness of it. And that's starting there. You'd be surprised at how much stuff farmers just rattle around in their heads. And then they wonder why their employees don't follow instructions because <laughs> and I'm one of those people. So it means, I'm. I'm uh, guilty, guilty as charged. But like you say, the farmer has a supercomputer continually with them. It's them. And freeing that up to do another task that might, something that's not quite so automatic or programmable is that's correct. definitely a better use of their time and energy. Right. And, you know, and understanding, you know, why are things done a certain way? And, and you know, one of the, one of the examples I have is, in order to make this robotic technology work is we are going to need some standardization and practices. You know, so if you have 28 intros and your neighbor has 30 and the next person over has 29 and a half, sometimes that was done because the equipment is from 1950 and no one ever bothered to change it. But we are going to need to start looking at what our neighbors are doing and trying to standardize some of these practices across to make the return on investment work, especially once we move into harvesters and these types of things. What types of ag tech or ag robotics do you see becoming more widely used in the next five to 10 years? The next five to 10 years, what I would like to see being done in the agrobotics space is better use of some of the sensor technology that we have, whether it's cameras, and I'm going to put cameras and weather stations and these types of things in, in the sensors. What I'm really hoping is that we can figure out the so what to all of the sensor readings. And one of the, one of the issues that farmers have is a lack of, just a lack of being able to, to know what to do tomorrow or the next day. And so if the sensor and camera technology can predict when a certain task should be done and at least give the farmer two or three days of notice, that is going to be a, a huge, a huge bonus 
you know, so, you know, if you knew how fast your weeds were going to be growing, then you could plan ahead on your, on your weed control system. If you could detect on your grapes that a certain mildew was going to be forming, you could plan ahead as to how to manage that. I think that is, that is probably where some of the biggest advancements in technology are going to come from is in that predictive modeling. Yeah. That's not something a farmer can do nearly as easily or at all sometimes. Well, and the level of detail that is required to make that happen is also beyond the human brain's comprehension. You know, and and what we're looking at here, and this is also where I'm looking towards the next five to 10 years, is as field crop farmers, we need to stop talking about fields, managing a crop in blocks of 10, 20, 50, 150 acres. We need to stop talking in terms of quarter sections and 85 acre fields and this kind of stuff. If we really want to move our crops to the next level, we need to start talking about every 10 square feet, every foot of row, or ideally every plant. How do we optimize every single plant in that field? Because the number of acres of farmland we have is not increasing. It's going to continue to decrease. The demands of output are going to continue to increase. And we're going to do that on every individual plant. And I think that's what we're, that that's the next piece of ag tech as well is enabling that, you know, per plant yield enhancement to follow. That seems so, that just seems like such a, a big ask at this point, but I know it will incrementally work to get there. It's not going to be the next step. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But, but you know, the, the, the technology exists individually to do this. It's just how do we get this applied? And this is, this is some of the work that we're doing as a company to try to bring this along. You've been working in this for a few years. What do you find most interesting about agrobotics? What I find interesting about the technology is can we actually get the robot to do what we want and do it well? It's, it's really fascinating how you know, farmers are mo- among the most innovative people on the planet mm-hmm. because the work is hard. You know, if you think about harvesting a pumpkin or a watermelon, like they're heavy and they're on the ground, right? You know, or, or the, you know, the old Tilsonberg song about harvesting tobacco, right? Like, I mean, it's, there's a reason why farmers invented tobacco harvesters, for example, because the work is hard to do. So it's, it's really fascinating to me to see this technology develop. You know, what's interesting to me with sensors and robotics and things is I'm still waiting for the Star Trek tricorder to show up, right? Or, you know, the, the handheld analyzer to, to say, this is what this is. So I like to see these little pieces. I find that very interesting. And I also like to see the development over time. You know, things have really progressed even in the last three years since we started to take this seriously in the robotic space to see the technology evolve and develop. It's really, really cool stuff. And, and what I find interesting is we're trying to, as a company, we're trying to stop talking about just the robotic platform that can just drive from one side of the field to the other. Well, that, that's, that's all well and cool. But what tasks are we doing as that robot is driving up and down the field? That's, that's, that's a very interesting to me, the use case. Yeah, the, the practical application. Mm-hmm. It's all very yep. cool that the tech can do this, but what is it doing? And Exactly. And how is it adding value to the farmer and, and to the industry as a whole? Thanks for tuning in to Inputs, the podcast by Top Crop Manager. 
To hear more great research and perspectives from industry experts, visit topcropmanager.com slash podcasts or catch up on past episodes wherever you listen to podcasts.